go ahead and say your name and what you'd like to be doing in the next 10 years. In the next 10 years. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine, can imagine a the classroom of the future? Will we have a robot teacher? Will we marry a This is not normal Hi, I'm Daniel Drahora. And I'm Amy Blumenthal. Welcome to the podcast. How did your parents meet? Summer camp. Your parents met at a summer camp? My mom was a lifeguard and my dad taught golf. They met on a hike. He was bragging. Really? She put him in his place. I love it. My parents met in a village in Romania. Their network was not as wide as ours. This is true. In the village, there were basically three people you did not want to cross. The priest, the butcher, and the matchmaker especially the matchmaker. They held in their hands the power to seal your fate. They knew everything about you, everything about your family, hmm. everything about you since you were a little child. Every time you've been sick, all the friends you've had, your entire history, they had all the data. It was written in a book, just like in Fiddler on the Roof. Young people can't decide these things for themselves. She might bring someone wonderful. Someone interesting. And well off. And important. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. Matchmaker, Traditions are changing. The way people meet each other is changing. And engineers are part of that. Yep, they're the new matchmakers. So today we are turning our podcast over to our music composer and editor, Will Brumbach, a Thornton graduate student. Will went on a search for love, and for that, he needed the help of engineers. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match Find me a find, catch me a catch Night after night in the dark I'm alone So find me a match of my own You know, I always told myself I would never try online dating. But after months of trying to meet people, going places, I figure, what the heck, I'll give it a go. I mean, I highly doubt that I'm going to be the love of my life through something so artificial. I'll be honest, and you can roll your eyes if you want to, but when it comes to love and relationships, I'm pretty romantic. I want to look across the room, see her, lock eyes, and know she's the one. Would I be able to get that from meeting somebody online? Probably not. So I decided I'd go to a place where people are looking for love in the unlikeliest of places. Las Vegas. So do you think you can find love online? It is possible, yes. So you, would you ever try online dating? No, I would not. I just think that uh, if you're going to find true love, it's going to be in person. So do you think that you can find love online? Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, have you ever tried online dating? No, I haven't. No, you I haven't. haven't. You know, I'm from Colombia, so that's not big over there, so we go out, you know? <laughs> you know? be your keywords that you're searching? If she dances salsa or not. <laughs> I think it's just about finding that person who's going to make you happy. So, do you guys believe that you can find love online? No. Because um, when you meet in front, you like meet their eyes. So mm -hmm. then like you feel a connection versus a screen. Screen's like nothing, you just lie. Do you guys think that like opposites attract? Or it's better to date somebody who's exactly the same as you? Uh, I think opposites attract. Opposites attract. So if I told you guys that there was a algorithm, would you try it? No. I feel no? like it doesn't work like that. I don't know. When it comes to falling in love these days, we have more choices than ever before. Love by Algorithm, Love at First Sight, or Love by Aunt Margie, 
who's been trying for years to set you up with her dentist's daughter. But one question that you must answer is who do you trust? Your gut, math, or Aunt Margie? I would prefer to trust my gut. I think with online dating, too, it's a lot about, like, the thrill of the chase. And then when, like, because they, like, you know, hiding behind the computer, but then when they actually meet you, it's just different. There's a lot to be said that, you know, you can screen people out. if you're You, you might never meet that perfect person because they're just on the other side of the country or something. That really wasn't that helpful. So I decided to find somebody who had some success with online dating. And I didn't have to look that far because my coworker Kathleen met her fiance online. What made each of you decide to try online dating? So I was like really against it yeah. at first. I had gone through a breakup a few months, probably six or so months before. And I was ready to kind of start dating again. And my friend was like, you should try online dating. And I was like, no, you're crazy. I would never do that. That's silly. That's only for desperate people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> only silly people would ever do that. That's not me. I prefer meeting people in person. I geared more towards online dating because I'm not a very sociable person. I, I have a hard time walking up to people and just starting a conversation. That's Pat, Kathleen's fiance. I can relate to this because the same kind of thing always happens to me. You ever walked into a room of strangers and like felt uncomfortable? You know, there's a big party going on, tons of people. So you pull out your phone, hoping you don't have to talk to anybody. And then you just hope that that person over there in the corner comes over and talks to you. Say, hey, let's get out of here. Just like they do in the movies. What are you doing? Reading. South America, land of wealth and promise. It's very interesting. Let's get out of here. So I feel like the challenge for most of us is just getting that courage to walk up to somebody and strike up a conversation whom you've never talked to before. She mentioned that on her profile that she liked running. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay. And I gave myself like a chance. I was like, you know what? If it doesn't work with this person, this is it. This is my final email. I'm just going to write. I'm, I'm, I'm done. It took a little bit of the pressure off, right? If I, yeah. meet, if I met him at a bar, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't know what he's like. He could already be crazy. I don't know if he likes <laughs> what I like. Does he like me? Like, you have that basis of knowing kind of where you stand and who that person is a little bit more than you do. So one way to do it is try the three-second rule. You have three seconds to swallow your fear and go up to that person and say something, anything. With only three seconds, you don't have time to doubt yourself. But we can't just turn off our emotions like a faucet. And that's where I'm thinking that online dating makes sense. It takes the emotion out of it, at least in the beginning. I really wanted to find out how this works. So I went to one of the biggest dating websites based here in Los Angeles, eHarmony. I'm going to pull the curtain on Oz and figure out how these engineers come up with their love algorithms. And what I found out is it's pretty complicated. Uh, so I lead a team that does data science, machine learning, we're called the modeling team. This is Jonathan Morrow. So think of it like this. If eHarmony was a production line, he would be the guy that programs the machines. Essentially, we're in charge of taking data sets from various groups in the organization and deriving predictive models. Specifically, we work a lot with matching. So that's the organization that actually generates our product, our matches. I'm, I'm part of the team that predicts long-term compatibility. So our, our team is basically made up of a bunch of psychologists. This is Johnny Beber. Think of him as the guy trying to perfect the recipe. And we do the research on married couples to see what kind of 
you know, similarities in personality traits, values, or relationship styles are predictive of, you know, a great and happy, successful, long-term relationship. We're the ones who build the compatibility matching algorithms. Johnny's group really makes what we call pairings. Pairings are potential matches, and our users don't know about pairings. But they've matched, they've satisfied two criteria. One is psychological compatibility. The other is self-selects. Whatever it is you tell us that you want, we try our best to satisfy those. Out of that, pairings, we desire to now find which ones you're likely to have short-term attraction with. So we've guaranteed long-term attraction because of the psychological compatibility, but we also would like to satisfy short-term attraction. What we're trying to optimize basically in our models is relationship satisfaction. You know, how happy are they in their day-to-day, -day, you know, relationship with one another? So we're trying to optimize like the top, you know, 50% of happiest couples. We have couples who have been together two years and couples who have been together like 50 years in, in uh, these data sets. So we can see, you know, over time, do, you know, certain similarities play a more important role? Um, and that's how we base all of our matching in compatibility, basically, to see what creates a very successful relationship in the long run. So here's one big advantage that these online dating sites have over your gut and Aunt Margie. They have hundreds of thousands of relationships to pull from, good and bad. And they know things like the way couples fight and how they deal with finances or things like sickness, stress, and what effects that these have on your long-term happiness. For example, they can tell that these people in column B with blue hair were happier with the people in column D that have purple hair. And as the sheer number of users grow and their data sets get bigger, their algorithms get smarter and smarter. Human beings are, after all, pretty predictable. Just because you get along with purple-haired people does not mean that you're going to find them attractive. Jenny and her companion here live in the same town and are both big foodies. For some dating sites, this is enough to make them a match. But at eHarmony, using our 29 measures of compatibility, our experts partner people on their personality, values, and, you know, the stuff that really matters. So when you meet someone from eHarmony, instead of a total bore, you'll get butterflies. To create that instant spark that's going to get you out of that cozy, non-threatening cocoon of virtual space, and into a crowd-filled pub where you can meet some people. The love engineers at eHarmony have to build a custom algorithm for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And for this, they quiz you exhaustively. So I just signed up for eHarmony. Um, I'm about to take the questionnaire, so here we go. All right. I do things according to a plan. I take time out for others. I feel unable to deal with things. I love to help others. I seek adventure. I enjoy a good I often joke. leave a mess my in my room. I often carry the conversation to a higher level. I get stressed out. I tend to think outside the box. Wow, that was a ton of questions. It just feels like I had like some sort of intense therapy session. I can see how a lengthy test like this could scare some people away. How do they get a perfect match without asking each person these ungodly amount of questions? So this is the whole idea of we have these relationship data and we want to get at its underlying structure in as few questions as possible because no user likes to sit at their computer and take hundreds of questions. We know that, but yeah. we feel that we have to ask that many in order to assess what kind of person you are. John and Johnny don't just want to match you up. They want to create an entire experience for you. For that, 
They know they need to reduce the questionnaire by a whole lot. But how do they get to the real you without putting you through this lie detector test? This is where Greg comes in. You have these 430 questions. What if we wanted to get 99% of that information with, say, 50 questions? What would be the 50 questions? You know, maybe if you, if you get 10 questions, you can get maybe, maybe you get 80% or something like that. That, that might be just fine, right? That, that might be enough to get you pointed in the right directions. Greg Versteeg is a USC Viterbi computer science professor and a machine learning researcher at USC's Information Sciences Institute, the place where the early internet was invented. Greg developed Corex to discover hidden factors in data from unsolved gang-related crimes, brain signals, and even the underlying structure of a tumor. The way it works is that he feeds Corex a bunch of data, and like a high-powered data cruncher, Corex then digests this quickly, looking for hidden factors and spitting out all sorts of connections in the data. Scientists find this incredibly useful, because in the old days, they would wait weeks or even months to get this data interpreted in a meaningful way. With Corex, it's instant. The product it produces looks like beautiful interlinked cobwebs revealing hidden factors. The idea behind Corex is that um, if you look at some data, and that can be anything, it can be the answers that you gave to some questions on a relationship survey, how, how different parts of your brain light up at the same time. If you look at that data and you say, okay, there's clearly some correlations in the data. Your answer to this question um, always predicts the way you'll answer this other question. Or, you know, this, uh, this area of your brain always lights up when this area of your brain lights up. Those relationships in the data, how do they get there? Greg worked on extracting the hidden factors in the eHarmony questionnaire alongside his colleague, Aram Galstein, Director for Data Science and Machine Learning at USC Viterbi's Information Sciences Institute. The way the method works is basically uh, finds correlations in these responses, and then it tries to uh, kind of find the hidden cause that can explain the absurd correlations in the data. For instance, uh, if we have only the questions, but we don't know about uh, these different types, extroversion or openness and so on and so on, but if we condition on this variable, all these responses seem to be, you know, making sense. So their correlations seem to make sense, okay? So in this particular case, uh, if you look at the questions, we will see, oh, okay, maybe this hidden variable that we found it corresponds to a hidden psychological trait that's called uh, extroversion, okay? And that's basically how the method works. Sometimes something so simple and hidden can pop up and make or break your relationship. Perhaps all it takes is one or two of these hidden factors to affect your relationship in the long run that you may not even notice in the beginning. Shocking, distressing, heartbreaking news, Rangelina split. So TMZ broke the story, Angelina Jolie files for divorce from Brad Pitt, and we know why. Huh. Who would have guessed? You know, we discover these hidden factors, but these factors themselves are related. So in this case, you can look at another factor, which is how you'd answer questions like, how important is it that uh, a serious relationship needs to be exclusive? Do you think being monogamous causes relationships to get boring over time? And how much do you care about your partner's dependability, right? So... The way you answer those questions also is maybe not so surprising that those are all related. Maybe if you didn't think monogamy was important, it might predict something like, you know, <laughs> are you likely to be cheating or not? But uh, now we have these two different factors and, we, you know, the types of things we can then find out are, are there relationships between these hidden factors? And in this case, 
uh, we're saying, yes, there is a relationship. And the relationship is if you're the type of person who describes yourself as caring and generous and affectionate, you're also the type of person who describes yourself as thinking monogamy is important. That's pretty cool. The idea that there's someone out there with hidden factors that match my hidden factors. This idea of a quantum tango is pretty neat. I know I should have paid more attention in physics class. So I'll spare you the mystery. I found the right person, and I did meet her on eHarmony, and her name is Sarah. And we just got engaged. And I found that all these things they said came true in my relationship. So I think the things that make us a good couple are that we work really hard at communicating. If we have an issue, instead of waiting until the next day, we address it right away. We don't keep the drama going. Mm -hmm. We just talk about it and boom we're done yeah that's what you're so good about just being like all right here's the issue boom done all right moving on i'm like still thinking about it like 15 hours later and you're like what Pfft, i'm done moved on from that yeah. yeah i found that what brought sarah and i together were our similarities and values rather than what was different about us which is surprising considering we come from such different backgrounds she was raised in washington dc and is a public relations specialist I was raised in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and I'm a musician. John and Johnny actually helped me debunk that idea of opposites attract, which I thought was a real thing. We actually have a saying here at eHarmony, it's opposites attract and then they attack. In the long term, opposites can be really kind of hurtful in, in long-term happiness. So opposites attract is basically um, another way of saying complementarity. Having that feeling of you complete me in general, most people are very attracted to someone who's very much like themselves because it's something that they're comfortable with, they know how to deal with a person because they have a, a very good frame of reference, which is themselves. So imagine two people get into an argument and they have very different conflict resolution styles. They are just going to never resolve that conflict because you know they have no frame of reference of where they're coming from, uh, why, they're, what, why they got mad in the first place and how to best deal with that conflict. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're trying to deliver is happy marriages. That's why the only hard rule that we ever have is we won't show you people you're not psychologically compatible with. I don't think we're, we're opposite or some, similar. I think we're complementary. So yeah. I think there are some things that we both do well. There are some things that I don't do as well that you do well and vice versa. And I think we match each other where we need to be matching each other. Like, you fill in my gaps, I fill in your gaps. Yeah, but I don't think we're exactly opposite. And I think no. that our relationship is very balanced. So essentially, we're not trying to match you up with a machine, right? We're trying to match you up with a person. And at the end of the day, we are showing you people that it's statistically likely that you will have a happy both short and long-term relationship with. It's certainly not perfect for everyone. I, I would never claim that our methodology works for everyone all the time, but we have shown through our data that it works more often than when people do it themselves. To give you an idea, eHarmony is responsible for nearly 5% of US marriages, according to company stats. In all, 438 people tie the knot every day with the help of the company's algorithms. In a study published in 2012, the divorce rate of married couples that met on eHarmony was roughly 50% of those who met in any other way. 
So one of the things that I've heard at eHarmony is people are really good at picking short-term mates and not so good at picking long-term mates because that's what we have done biologically is we want to find the most fit person and what do we know about them? We we see them, maybe we talk to them a little bit and okay, they're fit biologically. That by no means means that they're going to be fit after you've been married for 10 years. So what do you think? Is a machine better at picking your soulmate than your intuition? It's not necessarily that our algorithms are better at picking a mate for you. It's just we have the scientific research behind it. It's more of a gateway to opportunity to finding that special someone. It's just kind of taking the uncertainty out of meeting someone new. So what about people who think differently, who met organically without the help of some algorithm? People like my parents, whose algorithm was music. And they met one summer 32 years ago in a drum and bugle corps, which you might want to think of as a competitive marching band. In our day, it was more, things evolved more naturally or maybe organically might be the, the term. You know, you start to hit it off with someone and you become best friends. It, it's not like we go into it, you know, looking for a partner. It kind of just occurs or just happens over a period of time through social events or social groupings. How do you guys feel about the way that young people are meeting people today on the online dating? I think it's a great idea. I mean, it cuts out a lot of the legwork mm -hmm. because you're being matched with someone that's more likely to be a life partner uh, with attributes that maybe we wouldn't have even considered back in the day. It was more, you know, can you build a life and a friendship with someone? And you had to really test that. Dad, what do you think? Can you quantify an emotion? And that's what you're trying to do with an algorithm. Trying to quantify, get it down to a science, take the human element out of it, take the emotional element out of it, and say, well, if X plus Y, that'll definitely make Z. Mm -hmm. So once we figure out that, we'll have it all set and everyone will be perfect. I don't think it's that simple. Hmm. I think at the end of the day, love is at least somewhat quantifiable. Like, I mean, Johnny has shown through his research that we can detect happy versus unhappy couples. I see the same types of problems over and over and over again. So if you can detect them before the marriage occurs and tell the people, hey, I don't think you're gonna be compatible, well, we're helping humanity. We're helping say, these types of marriages are bad, you shouldn't enter into them, and these types are good. We wanna encourage you. So I absolutely think it's quantifiable. I don't know if I trust myself anymore. Yeah. And I'm not, being, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like I have had a number of people that I have found attractive that just know. Like, like after you get to know them, it just makes no sense. What we think we want changes over time. And sometimes what we think we want isn't always what we really need. And truth is, when you're out there looking, chances are you don't really know what you want. I didn't know what I wanted until I met Sarah, which I guess was like a hidden factor of my life. But now, Sarah and I couldn't be happier. I don't think us meeting online had a big impact on our relationship. I think it is really hard to meet people in, in person when you are living in a densely populated area because there's so many people and you could spend a lifetime looking for somebody. And I think online it's a lot more targeted and you're able to 
look for someone who has the same values. So for all of you out there looking for love, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, and happy birthday, Dad. Escape Velocity is a production of USC Viterbi School of Engineering. I am Daniel Drujora, your host and producer. Today's episode was also produced by Will Prumbach. Escape Velocity executive producers are Adam Smith and Michael Chung. Our theme music was written and performed by Will Brumbach. Our mix engineer is Ryan Stewart.